Hello, my name is Jonathan Seyfried, and this is A Socialist Reads Atlas Shrugged. You are listening to episode three of this podcast. Today's podcast is going to delve into the character of Eddie Willers. Before we get to that, though, a couple of announcements. If you've been enjoying this podcast so far and would like to support my work, there is a link to a Patreon page in the show notes. Also, just a reminder that this is not a read-aloud of Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand. Instead, it's a critical, close reading in which I, the self-proclaimed socialist, will go through page by page and provide analysis. I do want to say something at this point, which is that I'm not an Ayn Rand expert. I'm not even an expert in Atlas Shrugged. This is my second time reading the book. First time I read it was about five years ago. And I come to this with not really the mission of providing expert-level analysis. For that, I highly recommend the works of scholars such as Jennifer Burns and her fantastic book, Goddess of the Market. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Instead, what I'm offering here is a model of how someone who disagrees with the ideas of a writer, a philosopher, can sort through and try to check their own cognitive biases and practice the difficult task of looking for the best in the side of the argument that they themselves disagree with. That's really my mission here, to go through Atlas Shrugged systematically and try my very best to argue with it in good faith. So, I hope you enjoy this journey with me. It's going to be a long one. And, hey, sometimes I might be able to take a pause in the close reading and actually get an interview with an expert or someone who is on the other side of the argument from where I position myself, and we'll have those little interludes every now and then. At this point, I'm going to get into the next regular feature of this podcast, which I fondly call a moment of non-contradiction. And this is when I scour the bowels of the internet for someone who said something about Atlas Shrugged that somehow relates to what I'm discussing or the pages that I'm close reading in the podcast. Today's moment of non-contradiction is from Reddit, and there is an objectivist subreddit on which someone who later deleted their username or somehow glitched and we don't have their username, they just show up as you slash deleted. Well, they posted a simple query to the subreddit, and their query goes as follows, quote, the older I get, the more I'm starting to feel like Eddie Willers. Anyone else relating to other characters as they approach their age, unquote. 
So that was short and sweet. I looked for the replies to that post and was not able to access them. If you're able to get in there, any of you listeners, and figure out a way to do it, then email me at the address that I put into the show notes, socialistreads at gmail.com, and let me know how to do it. Also, feel free to email me with any comments or questions. Okay, let's talk about Eddie Willers. The older I get, the more I'm starting to feel like Eddie Willers. That's what that person put on the objectivist subreddit there. So getting older, starting to wind down, feeling decayed, I suppose, that's kind of the state of the opening scenes of Atlas Shrugged. I wonder if it's the state of Eddie Willers quite so much in these first few pages. To me, Eddie Willers comes across more like a resistor against the decay than an example of the decay itself. But my memory of Eddie Willers throughout the whole novel is a little bit shaky. I did do a little searching around and find out, spoiler alert, that Eddie Willers is not accepted as one of the heroes at the end of the book into the special society that happens. I'm just going to keep it there so not to spoil it too badly for anyone who's reading this for the first time. So anyway, Eddie Willers, there's something missing there, but I'm not sure in these first few pages if I read Eddie Willers as someone who's also feeling the decay like the other people and places described in these opening pages. So Eddie Willers meets the bum, who we talked about in the last episode, gives the bum some money to go get a coffee, to maybe get some caffeinated energy in order to break out of that funk. Then Eddie Willers continues walking through Midtown Manhattan, is pretty much what we're left to believe. I don't think the city is ever named, but that's pretty much the setting here. There's tall buildings, big city crowds, but there's this apprehension that Eddie Willers feels. There's just something wrong, and he can't quite figure it out. He's looking around, and now on the second page of my edition, he notices that the buildings are kind of run down. And this paragraph about the skyscrapers really, I think, is providing some allusion to Greek mythology. So the title of the book, Atlas, Who Holds Up the World, is shrugging under the weight of the world. And here we've got a thunderbolt mark in one of the buildings uh, causing damage, a crack that's shaped like lightning struck it, which calls to mind Zeus. And then the end of the paragraph there is about the fire dying out. So that calls to mind Prometheus. Prometheus, the god of ingenuity and innovation who brought fire to the humans. Well, 
It's dying out. What Prometheus gave to humans, that spark to drive human innovation, there's something going wrong with it. It's dimming. So here we have more imagery of decay further down the page. And then we get to the calendar. Okay, the calendar. The calendar plays this weird role in the Eddie Willers scene where it comes up again at the end of the scene, but on each side where the calendar first appears and then when it comes back, Eddie Willers has this experience where he can't quite place something. So here, the first mention of the calendar, he looks up at it. It's like there's some kind of saying. And then at the end of the Eddie Willers scene, kind of turn the page a bit, what you see a couple pages forward, actually, in my edition, it's on uh, page 19. Eddie says, or thinks, that was the sentence he had tried to remember. Your days are numbered. But he had forgotten in what connection he had tried to remember it. So he can't recall that he had seen the calendar. So what's going on with the fuzzy memory here with Eddie Willers? It's maybe just the strain of having to put up with what Eddie has to put up with. What does Eddie have to put up with? Well, first of all, Eddie has to put up with this sense of having been betrayed by existence. What caused this betrayal? What kind of set it off? There's this metaphor of the oak tree on the estate on which Eddie grew up along with the Taggart children. Why did Eddie grow up there? Because Eddie is an inherited employee. And this is a phrase that I'm not quite sure is the best phrase, but it's the one that came to my mind as I thought about what's being described here. Well, at the top of page 13, here is the sentence that explains it. Quote, He had spent most of his childhood with the Taggart children, and now he worked for them, as his father and grandfather had worked for their father and grandfather. Unquote. The very next paragraph is about the oak tree. What is all this adding up to? So, Eddie Willers walking to the Taggart building where he works. There's decay that he's seeing around there. It brings to his mind his childhood and this oak tree. Okay, The oak tree, a sturdy oak. It's like the tree that you think of if you're trying to think of a tree that you can depend on. Really strong tough tree, okay? And there's rot at its core. There's rot at its core. The whole page is pretty much devoted to this image of the oak tree being destroyed by lightning, not because it was weak, but because it had been infested with this rot. And what happens in interpretation here, as, as Eddie himself is interpreting it, as 
Ayn Rand is having Eddie interpret it, is that he sees this as a betrayal. Okay, that's the word that is used here, betrayal. Okay, let me read the beginning of that paragraph that talks about betrayal. Quote, years later, he heard it said that children should be protected from shock, from their first knowledge of death, pain, or fear. But these had never scarred him. His shock came when he stood very quietly looking into the black hole of the trunk. Unquote. That's the betrayal that happened. So it was that he was counting on that oak to be what it appeared to be. Sturdy, dependable, vivacious, and it wasn't. There was something at its core that was a problem that had basically weakened it from within, that no one had noticed and yet had caused its demise. So this is what's going on with all of society and the economy in this world that Ayn Rand creates and introduces us to in the first few pages of the book. I do want to go back and note that there is this glimmer of economic beauty in a paragraph, the one right before Eddie Willers thinks about his childhood. He turns on to Fifth Avenue, and he passes by some prosperous stores. The word prosperous is used. And he feels this surge of pleasure as he walks by them. Now look, don't we all kind of feel that? Isn't it fun and fulfilling in a way to walk down a street that's bustling, that has all of these products of human ingenuity and human art and design all laid out? And on display, this is really nice. I think all of us like walking down prosperous streets. I really wonder about anybody who would walk down a busy street, say in New York City or whatever kind of town you live in, and wish that they could see more signs of run-down hopelessness. We don't like that. So... What's going on here? Why is it that we can so identify with the joy of walking down a prosperous street when we, as socialists, understand that this is all the result of a system that is very exploitative in its current form? There's an aesthetic pleasure that really blocks us from being able to criticize the hidden aspects of exploitation in the system. But at the same time, there is an aesthetic quality to this. You have to admit that no matter how much you recoil at the conditions that produce some of the great stuff that you walk by on a prosperous street, you probably enjoy walking down that prosperous street. So, Even though, as a socialist, I really disagree 
with a lot of the characterization and portrayal of this imaginary world. I also, if I'm doing a close read and trying to see the best of the other side of the argument, I also recognize that there's a lot to celebrate in the innovation, both technological and artistic, that would go into a kind of experience like the one Eddie Willers has as he walks down that prosperous street. So we got to investigate that one. And it brings up something that ties in with one of my five themes. What is the nature of capitalism? And one question that really, really rattles around in my mind, and I just cannot seem to let it go, is this feeling that maybe capitalism is not a choice between alternatives, like socialism would be the other, or communism, or authoritarian, uh, totalitarianism, all these different isms. Maybe the best way to think about capitalism is that it's the water that we swim in. And it's not a question of defeating capitalism or having socialism become victorious over capitalism. It's that when you look at economics with a socialist frame, what you're doing is you're talking about the rules that govern capitalism. Not replacing capitalism, but focusing on what are those rules who are the players? And it's not to get all relativist and say, ah, oh, well, socialism is then just defined as a form of capitalism. I would really argue against that. But there is something that I want to dig into as I do this reread of Atlas Shrugged. And I hope that you want to dig into this also, which is what really is the definition of capitalism in a way that helps us to discuss it and debate it functionally with each other. And I think a question that every socialist should ask themselves is what can we feel okay about celebrating? We know that we're in this system that is very exploitative, but we see also that the system does produce vivacity, it does produce innovation. So how do we communicate about what there is to celebrate at the same time that we communicate all that needs to change? Also, I think that this metaphor is something that can help us to understand how those who grow up with a very, very strong inculcation of you follow the rules, you work hard, you don't give up, and you come up with an idea, and you can succeed, you know, inculcated with the American dream, that's like this beautiful sturdy, vibrant oak tree to them, okay? And then what happens when someone who is really invested in that idea 
looks around and sees that there is a lot of unfairness, that the system has produced suffering, that the system depends on exploitation that people rightfully object to. There's a sense of something very, very wrong. And when you get that betrayal, when you get that emotion of betrayal, you want to know what happened. So Ayn Rand's answer is that socialism happened, that the looters got control. I think that we can maybe find an opening when we talk to those who we disagree with about just that initial feeling of betrayal, whatever kind of oak tree that we grew up with. And then as we enter into the political economy as it exists, how we feel that sense of betrayal, maybe we can dig in to, well, what exactly did we once believe in that we just don't feel is being borne out? And maybe that can be a place, a starting place, place of common ground to open up interesting conversations about people's expectations of what's supposed to be happening in the system versus the disappointment when they see the system as it is. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of A Socialist Reads Atlas Shrugged. Next episode, we will become introduced to Dagny Taggart, even though she's not named in this flashback memory that Eddie Willers has. And then we will also get introduced to the prime villain of the novel, Jim Taggart.